What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome to our second episode of Bench Warmers. It's your host, Loami Richardson, aka Lo, and my co-host Jono Castillo. Jonathan, what's going on, my brother? How you living? I'm good. We're back. We're back better than ever. Super excited for this episode. A lot to sound off on. It's been a fantastic week of sports, and I'm just super excited to get right into it. For sure. You know what I'm saying? As uh, we dropped our first, um, you know, episode, we got a lot of uh, good feedback, you know what I'm saying? And we're going to just hopefully progressively get better as we, you know, get comfortable with what the topics that the people want to hear and talk about. So this this episode, right, we're going to uh, diversify a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the L.A. Dodgers winning the uh, their first championship in 32 years. And I know John was about to sound off because uh, <laughs> I, I got to say, man, listen. I'm a basketball football head. Uh, we're both Mets fans, um, but I'm not like a, a baseball enthusiast. And so, and Jono was like, "Yo, did you watch the? Did you watch the game? Oh, I'm mad tight." I was like, "All right, bet." So he's gonna sign <laughs> off on the Tampa Bay Rays, and uh, we're gonna get oh, right man. into the show today. So we're gonna start off by talking about the LA Dodgers are world champions, first title in over 30 years. 1988 was the last time that they won a championship. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, 1988 so, against uh, the Oakland Athletics, last time they won a title. So big shout out to to the Dodgers. I'm sure LA is going nuts right now. They are the city of champs. Title town. Title town is title town, man. You know what I'm saying? They, right, they right. you know, low key. I was rooting for the Rays. You know, as a Florida boy, I always like to root for the underdog in those type of series. You know, the Dodgers had a crazy, crazy. Uh, uh, you know, said uh, roster, just the, the money that they spent on that roster, and then you got Tampa Bay, you know, who spent, you know, not even a quarter of that, uh, competing with the best of them, man. So, but you know, the Dodgers finally got lifted that monkey off their back. I know that this was a huge win for that city. Um, my one of my good friends, he he was he's a Dodgers fan, and um, he was he, <laughs> Jono, he was avoiding watching the uh, uh national the championship series right before the the. The World Series because he was like, "Yo, I've been dis disappointed and disheartening, you know, disheartened way too much, bro." So okay. I shouted him out. I reached out to him. I was like, "You know, congrats!" And he said, "Man, this is a big historic win for the Dodgers. It's actually more important that the Dodgers won than the Lakers, um, just because it's the one team that everyone kind of unifies around, regardless if you're Mexican, Korean, white, black." Um, and so he was kind of sharing a little bit about the Jackie Robinson history, which you know, so you you have connections from you know people in Brooklyn, and so. Anyway, he was really um, explaining that to you know to me. Actually, check this out, Jono. Uh, he just sent me an email. He says the Dodgers is a generational institution in Los Angeles and is seen by being the most attendance in Major League Baseball for years because of LA's commitment to diversity. You know, Jackie Robinson, Venezuela, Nomo, Chan Ho, Park Ryu, you know, all of these guys. It is the glue that binds the city together. Asians, Latinos, Blacks, Whites all come to Dodger Stadium. This means everything to the city. The Dodgers itself is an icon in L.A. From Vince Scully's announcing to um, to the Javier's L.A. Blue Hats, I would argue it is equal or to even more than the Dodgers. The city do goes in emotional lull when they lose. It has brought a sense of hope to the city even more than the Laker victory in some ways because in 32 years in the making. And so this is what he just like literally just sent me an email because I sent them that text message. So you can understand why this Dodgers championship means so much to the city, man. What was your thoughts on the World Series and L.A., you know, winning their championship? 
Yeah, big shout out to to the Dodgers, and and like you mentioned, um, this this was huge for LA. I mean, they they built a team 2015 to compete for a title. They they fired a manager, hired a new one, and Dave Roberts, who was supposed to get them over the the mountaintop per se, and they finally did it. Um, my thoughts on the World Series was it was a phenomenally played World Series between two teams. Um, where I'm a little bit upset at. And I'm sounding off on this <laughs> analytical part of baseball. Look, I've been watching baseball. I've followed baseball my entire life. My very first baseball game was the Yankees and Mariners when Ken Griffey Jr. played in Yankee Stadium, a young Derek Jeter, a young Alex Rodriguez. And mind you, I'm like nine years old when this is going right, on. But right. now looking at it, you know, how monumental that moment was for myself, I, I, I just – the way baseball has gotten has frustrated me. And I've seen this as a Mets fan. I've seen this as a baseball fan. Game six of the World Series, your Cy Young pitcher is throwing the game of his life. He's not even through six innings. He's given up one hit. He struck out nine batters. And let me tell you this, Lo. The yeah. first three batters that he's faced, he struck out not once, twice each of them and that's yep. the lineup that he had in that sixth inning and they took him out because he gave up a double with one out look i'm upset yeah I'm upset. i think that was the one question that everyone's like why are they pulling him out and yes we understand the analytics you know has room you know has infiltrated in all major sports whether it be football basketball baseball but but in that situation you know as a casual baseball fan i'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, like, the eyeball test says keep him in, right? Like, the man has been pitching a heck of a game. Why are you pulling him out? And, you know, when you're in a zone, just leave him in. You know what I'm saying? You have I to agree. ride with your best players. That's just, that's just you know, coaching one-on-one. -on -one. If your player is right. hot, you keep him in until, the, uh, until you can anymore. Um, right. So I know you was tight about that. And so I think, you know, they probably ruined themselves a, a – a, an, an opportunity to really win the World Series because we know of the COVID testing that happened just later on in that game. Uh, it's another thing so, that got me upset. Yeah, yeah. So we, we can talk about the COVID thing and all of that. Um, you know how is it is it uh what's a, a whole boy's name? Um just, guy, Justin Turner. Yeah, Justin is, it, Turner. is that on Justin Turner? Is it the MLB's fault for you know announcing it and pulling him and then get, leaving it up to him? Neither here or there. The point is is that um I just I I for the life you know for the life of me did not understand what snail was being pulled yeah, out. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't get it. You was just upset because that was an analytical move. That was it. That yes. was that's all it was. And and look, you know, look, you know, the, the 2004 Red Sox, they they did the whole analytical thing. The uh moneyball uh athletics, the the Oakland A's, they did the moneyball thing and, and it worked, right? It worked. The 2004 Red Sox, they won the World Series, it worked. The, the Cubs put together an analytical team as well, and it, it worked for them. So, look, an, analytics works. However, when you are in game set, game six excuse me, of the World Series and it's a do-or-die situation, you have to win this game, to me, analytical, analytics goes out the door. You right. have to do everything possible to win the game and put your team in a position to win. And the most frustrating part of that, just as a baseball fan, is not that they took him out, is who they put in. They put in a pitcher 
who has been struggling in the postseason against a right-hand batter who has been dominating right-handed pitchers. Hmm. You know, Mookie Betts was batting – I don't know if this number is absolutely correct, but he's he was batting below 250 against left-handers. Why would you take him out so, compared so to batting me- above 350 – Versus right-handers, I just I I just don't understand it. So let me ask you this because here's here's you know why I think people at least for myself I was so interested outside of you know the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the the Stanley Cup Finals and you know you're kind of rooting for the Rays to win it and then you're like kind of hoping that Tampa Bay Buccaneers make it to the Super Bowl because that will be a trifecta. We'll talk right. about that here in a bit. But uh, I know that we mentioned that you know the Dodgers won with a, over two hundred million dollar payroll. And the Rays with $28 million in payroll. So, but what got them there was analytics, right? Right. So yeah, so yeah, you're right. I mean, the, what, the, what got them there was was the very thing that you're hate that, that you're hating on right now. Right. Yeah, but, true. But but you know, with the Dodgers, they just have phenomenal talent. So let me ask you this: do you think that the that the Dodgers paid that championship, you know, that championship was bought because they spent so much money on that roster, showing well, that the Rays, the the Rays has shown that you can compete on a high level with very minimum. So, what what are your thoughts on on money need, needing to be spent in order for, you know, for you to compete for a World Series, especially I, I, as a Mets fan? A, I really like to know yeah. your thoughts on I think, that. I think that's a great question. And growing up in New York, you see how much the Yankees have spent. To, to win all the World Series that, that they've won throughout the years. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's business, right? It, I mean, you, you've got to pay for what you get for. And when you pay for a Kershaw and a Mookie Betts and, you know, guys like a, like a Corey Seager who's going to get paid, you know, I, I have no problem with the way they went about getting their World Series. Um, as a Mets fan, I would love for our Mets to, you know, pay, pay up. $200 billion on it. I would, I would love that, you know, but when you yeah. have the money to pay for the players that you want, by all means, do whatever it takes. And if that's how it gets you a World Series title, then uh, then that, that's how it is. And, and it worked for the Dodgers. I mean, we, we looked at the analyticals and, and we talk about the payrolls with the bit with the, the Rays. I, it, it works for them because mm-hmm. one, where they are in market, they can't afford a guy like Mookie Betts. They can't afford a guy like Clayton Kershaw. So their highest paid player, Charlie Morton, is only getting $5.2 million. Their best mm. player, the the, uh, the Cuban guy, um, Orozarena, he's he's getting $90,000 a year. And this guy's wow. a stud, but it works yeah. for Tampa. You know, and, and it kind of goes in relation to basketball. When you live and die by the three ball, and some days you do very well, and some days you don't, you live and die by analytics. Analytics got him there. Analytics burned them down, essentially. And, and so, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. You you was going to say, you you know, as you was talking, there's something I wanted to kind of highlight, you know, a team, a team like Tampa Bay Rays with that roster, with the talent that they have and the money, you know, these top players are getting paid. They, they can only last for so long because at some point they're going to want to get paid. So this is why you're kind of looking at the Rays. You're like, yo, this is a beautiful scenario, right? That, you know, but talent supersedes, you know, analytics at times. And I think the Dodgers... Yeah. They finally put this thing together because I know Kershaw, uh, not Kershaw, his, um, uh, was the yep. starting pitcher. Uh, Kershaw, yeah, Kershaw, yeah. yeah he big, he big had shout to out that. Kershaw. He deserves. Yeah, he range. finally got the you know the monkey off his back and he delivered a championship for you know for the Dodgers organization. So I know that this title meant a lot for the city of LA. I think a little bit more than the Lakers for the reasons that we stated before. So right. you know, shout I out to the LA Dodgers. Yeah, shout out to the LA Dodgers. I said Dodgers. I don't know what a Dodger is, but LA <laughs> Dodgers. 
you know, for winning their first championship. Uh, Jono was even thought of being born. Uh, and I ain't going to tell you how <laughs> that was the last time they won. But nonetheless, L.A. Dodgers, shout out World Series champions. Man, they're going to have to do a, a, a parade soon. I know this COVID is really causing people. Yeah. Not to LeBron, LeBron was talking about that, actually. He was trying yeah. to talk about it, doing about a, a, a socially distanced uh, parade, which I, I don't know how that would even take place just because I would imagine there'd be millions and millions of people wanting to celebrate both, yeah. both cities in L.A. So, yeah, well, it will be interesting to see, but definitely something to celebrate. And I think, you know, that that city has has suffered a lot with the loss of Kobe and, you know, just with the tragedies, with the fires and everything. So it's it's been good for L.A. to see. So we're going to talk about because we we was talking about the Tampa Bay Rays. And for me, I was kind of rooting for them. You know, they're kind of the local home team. You know, uh, uh, they were the underdogs. And so, you know, one of the biggest things that um, that's going to be happening this year is that the Super Bowl is in Tampa. Right. So I was kind of hoping the trifecta, man, we get the the the, uh, the Stanley Cup. We get the World Series. Oh, if Tom Brady can get <laughs> the Buccaneers to the Super Bowl, how legit is that? You know, so um, just to let you guys know, I am a Patriots fan. Jono is a Giants fan. So I don't know Big how we're fan. friends. Yeah, I don't know how we're friends at all, knowing that, you know, the Giants have ruined the opportunity of a perfect season and a Super Bowl. So Brady could have had easily eight, but thanks to the Giants, that is not the case. And so we're going to talk about Tom Brady at this moment. You know, Tom Brady, uh, we just got news that AB is going to be signing on um, to, to, to be a wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Gronkowski is coming into his own. He's looking a little bit more healthy. Brady's getting familiar with the offense. That defense seemed to be clicking. Um, So everyone's looking at Tampa Bay and saying, you know what? It's that that's a Super Bowl contending team. So my question is for you, Mr. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you're a Tom Brady hater. I don't know if you're like on Max Kellerman's uh, uh level, but do you believe it's Tom Brady's Super Bowl or bust for him this year? 100%. I agree with that statement. Um I first off, I question Brady's decision to go to Tampa, but I realized he went to Tampa because he now has in Tampa what he wished he had in New England for all these years. Yeah, I was gonna say, how do you question him going to Tampa? Listen, I'm a I'm a Patriots fan, and it's a struggle to see what Cam Newton is working with this year. We have no skill it, players. I mean, it puts so, it into perspective, right? What Brady was been, what Brady has been able to do for his entire career. I mean, he's never had what he has in Tampa, right? And never, he's never had that. I mean, he's one with Chris Hogan, a lacrosse player. For, for <laughs> I mean, a bunch of white boys as receivers. I mean, Julian Edelman was a college quarterback, a seventh round pick college quarterback, and he's turning right. into one of the better receivers in the NFL, which is great. I I, I like his game. But Brady goes into a situation where Tampa arguably has the best defense in the league right now with a coach who is just go play, hard-nosed, guy who's been around the game for a long time, and probably the best offense in the NFL right now. And then he gets A.B., oh, Super, Super Bowl champion or bust. There's no, there, there's no sky the, the limit for Tampa right now. It's Super Bowl champion. Or bust, and I'm sure that Russell Wilson in Seattle has a lot to say about that. Yeah, you know this idea, Super Bowl or bust. You have two years, 
you know, to get this thing together. Tom Brady signed a two-year contract. So, you know, if you don't win it this year, you know, the chances of you winning in the following year becomes a little bit more difficult. So I think that's some, sometimes we, we look at that and at least for myself, this pressure of him winning, but I don't think anybody expected Tampa Bay to be in that position until Tom Brady showed up, right? There was an expectation. He's going to cut down on the turnovers at Jameis Winston, you know, through 30 interceptions last year, you cut that by half. They win two or three of those games last year. Um, but with that talent, bro, with the game of the NFL, with NFL more than the NBA or even baseball to a lesser extent, um, football specifically, it's, it's, it's a game of inches, right? Like it, no one, this is why it's very hard to repeat in the NFL. Cause you got to have some tough, you know, some, some lucky breaks, you know, for things to go your way. So currently constructed Tampa Bay has the talent to compete with anybody, especially a team like Kansas city, um, which is the super bowl champions. And they seem like, you know, there's been teams that in games that they play tight niche and then, you know, they, you know, uh, your boy does what he does. Um, uh, the QB from uh, Kansas city, uh, Patty Mahomes, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes. You know, he does what he does. And so they seem like they are the team to beat. But I don't think they're a Super Bowl or bust. I believe if, if Brady gets them to even the NFC championship, I think they're going to look at Tom Brady and say it was a successful season because nobody saw that Tampa Bay going that far. Now, I think for Brady, for himself, he wants to win a championship and kind of stick it to Bill Belichick. So he may have like a, you know, a fuel that's driving him. But I don't think it's a Super Bowl or bust. You know, he's 43 years old, 44 years old. The fact that he's doing what he's doing now is amazing. So th- are you going to fault him if he doesn't win the Super Bowl? I don't I don't know. Um, you know. No, I'm not, I'm not going to fault him. But I, I think you put yourself in a position in Brady's uh, duration of his career where it has to be compete for a Super Bowl. I mean, when Peyton Manning left, Indianapolis and went to Denver. He didn't do so because let me just sign five years, a hundred million dollars and just retire on the sunset. He did so because he put himself in a position where he can win another Super Bowl with what Denver was building themselves around. And eventually it it happened. Although the contracts are a little different, five years versus two, Brady's Mm -hmm. window is is short. I mean, what having having that kind of championship window in sports in general, I mean it's it's hard. It's hard to win in sports. And Brady has won six times with rosters that if we look at it, we're like, wow, these guys really perform this way. And now, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got, he's got Antonio Brown, Mike Evans. He's got Goodwin in the slot. He got Gronk his one of his best buddies playing, like you mentioned at all time level right now, or just getting to that all time level. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting back into his defense. I mean, his defense is absolutely phenomenal. And last year, the Patriots were number one in defense. Let's not right. forget that. But they didn't have the offensive weapons to get Brady past the first round against Tennessee last year. And and, and that's ultimately what, what it comes down to. And I think that signing with Antonio Brown just makes life easier for everybody because who you got to pick your poison. you got to pick I mean, your How poison. do you guard them? Yeah. You can't, you, can't, you can't double cover Mike Evans. You can't double cover uh, Antonio Brown. Brady, we know, is a play-action legend. The middle of the field is going to be wide open. I mean, how how do you honestly play them? Yeah, it, it's going to be t- tough for matchup. But again, just because you have t- – I mean, th- you look at the Cleveland Browns, they have a bunch of talent on the offensive end. 
But, you know, Baker Mayfield, not, not that I'm comparing Tom Brady to Baker Mayfield, but the point is, is that we look at that roster and we say, oh, this is an 11-game team. I think now, you know, uh, that O-line needs to really hold it, you know, hold it together. They got to give Brady time in the pocket, you know, to be able to, you know, uh, get the ball out. Um, so it's really going to be dependent on that offensive line because there's going to be days that they, the Tampa Bay is going to look great. And there's going right. to be other times that it's going to be a really grinded out game. And so um, I don't think it's a Super Bowl or bust. I think that they have the best chance to go to the Super Bowl. But I don't think we're going to hold it against Tom Brady if he loses it and say, well, dang, you know, um, with that talent, we hope they succeed. But I don't think there was a lot of expectations for the Tampa Bay. They're looking at the Ravens. We're looking at Pittsburgh. They're talking more about Pittsburgh this year than they are Tampa Bay. You know, and God, Lee, I don't know why. Dallas Cowboys keep getting all of the headlines like they haven't done anything in almost a decade in the last 20 well, years that's you know Dallas fans for you yeah yeah but but the point is is that I don't think there's this overwhelming pressure for Brady to win they're looking at Lamar Jackson they're looking at Kansas City Pittsburgh you know and I think Brady he, I think he likes the fact that he's kind of under the under the radar and catch people by surprises but yeah, yeah. man that that team yeah, they, that that on paper, man. If AB can just not act foolish and cause any chemistry issues, and if that O line can hold Brady up to, you know, at the end of the day, he he shows he can still, uh, facilitate, you know, saying distribute that ball evenly. You know, AB is going to be a major huge. And you said that defense is coming together, man, for sure. Um, now I know that the question has been brought up: Was this Brady's best team or defense he've ever had, talent wise? Yes, this is the best talent that Brady has ever played with. And just with his IQ of the game is going to make the guys around him better. And I think they kind of buy into knowing, hey, if I don't get 10, 11 catches a game and we're winning, we're going to be good. You know, I think they, they kind of have that respect for Brady. He brings that, you know, you know, that 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 leadership, that presence there. And so, yeah, man, I, I think Tampa Bay has a great chance. Uh, the other team in the NFC, I believe, uh, can compete with them is uh, is all dependent on Aaron Rodgers and, and the Green Bay and the Green Bay Packers, um, you know. So so those are the two teams in the NFC and the AFC. Man, that's going to be a, a slugfest. And I think the champions, whoever wins the championship, more than likely will come out of the um, the AFC. But Tom Brady Super Bowl or bust? I don't think it's a bust if he doesn't win it this year. You know, let me let I, me ask you this, Low. What? Yeah. What does this mean for Tom Brady's legacy if he does win the Super Bowl? He's if he's not already solidified as the greatest quarterback of all time, it does so. Hey, he said Fair it enough. best. He says, "Listen, I've been married to an organization for twenty years. I've been only dating these people for three months, right? And if he can True. take this team in one year to the Super Bowl and win it." Bro, you have to. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be questioning. Brady really put, you know, was was the reason why Belichick won those championships only because you're seeing what's happening in New England, and the thing that Brady was complaining about is that we don't have enough skill players, we don't have receivers, and Belichick. Okay, we'll just, you know, they Cam Newton dropped on their lap, and he hasn't been playing well ever since he got, you know, a diagnosed with COVID. Everything's been kind of off. I don't know what's going on, but it just. From the first three games of the season to the last two, you know, of course he missed two weeks and, and practice. So, but everybody's dealing with this pandemic. So there's really no excuse to say, well, you know, the Patriots, you know, they, they have to close down the facility and all this other stuff. 
They need to get it together. And I think if Brady wins with the a Super Bowl this year and the Patriots are struggling the way that they are, there's going to be a lot of people, including myself, who's going to look at Belichick and say, maybe it was Tom Brady. It wasn't a system. It was Brady himself. That's my thoughts. That's my opinion about that. I hear that. You know? I hear that. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, that that – that was the biggest thing that a lot of people talked about, right? When when Brady decided to go to Tampa, was it Brady? Was it Belichick? Um, and and we'll find out. We'll find out in February. You know, maybe we get a New England and, and Tampa Super Bowl. Who knows? Yeah, no, for sure. That would be great if we can get Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay for the Super Bowl. I'll be masked up, but I definitely would like to be around the area <laughs> to see the goats. You know, compete for a seventh ring man so we're gonna transition right now because you know we're gonna talk about the thing we actually had more about a conversation about this than all the other topics and we were gonna talk about the brooklyn nets and um we know kd is coming back from his achilles injury um steve nash as a head coach i that then you get amari stoudemire stat you know saying you know shout out to amari uh you know you know florida boy um you know he's on the staff and i'm just I'm like, it's like a AAU player coach staff. And then we just get word today that Mike D'Antoni is going to be the assistant coach for the Brooklyn Nets. So I'm like, all right, this is Phoenix 2000. And <laughs> yeah. For 2008, real. You know what I mean? Like, what is that, going that's on? That's exactly so what the headline said. That, that is honestly what the headline said. It said, D'Antoni rejoins Nash and Amari. Uh, you know, i.e. Phoenix 2008 or, or 2005, whenever it was that they uh, implemented the, the pick and roll system. So I, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm very on edge about Steve Nash as a coach. Um, I, what, are your, I don't, what are your reservations about him? I mean, what's his system? Pick and roll? I mean, I don't. Well, better, we know what the system is going to be. We know what the system is going to be now. I, mean, I know. So. He's been around two systems, right? He's been around the pick and roll system with Dan Tony, and then he's been around the shooting, you know, best shot scenario system with uh, Steve Kerr. Is he going to implement both those systems? I don't know. I just, right. I've never seen him as a coach. I never seen, I, I never thought that he would be a coach. So the fact that he got probably one of the best jobs that was available um, in, in Brooklyn, just with the situation that they have there. I'm just, I just question if the players will, you know, relate to his style of coaching, what his style of coaching would even be like, um, you know, and, and listen, being in New York, is it's not easy. I mean, he is in the middle of, of New York that probably the Nets are now bigger than, than the Knicks currently. We know this with the players that they have and the ownership there and, and just the culture that that's in Brooklyn, the, the media I mean, if, if he loses the first 10 games out of 15, the media is going to eat him alive. Like, can can he be okay with that? I mean, we'll find out. Yeah, I think everything hinges. And I know you, you got to sh- let him know what, what shirt you're wearing today um, because I'm about to go on, on your boy right now. Yes. Represent Duke, everything, baby. everything hinges on Kyrie Irving. Everything hinges on that man. I think that KD, um, he's soft skin, right? I think he, you know, but but he, he's just gonna go out there and do whatever. K- Kyrie, every team that he has gone to, he has not made them better. Before Correct. LeBron got to Cleveland, it's not like he elevated them to you know to the playoffs. When he went to Boston, he actually 
made them worse chemistry wise because when he didn't play, that team clicked far better. And you mm-hmm. see with Kimba Walker there, they played far more, you know, cohesive than than Kyrie. So now you're going, you know, is Steve Nash going to hold him accountable? You know, now that you have Mike D'Antoni there, it's a very point guard friendly type offense that he runs. You know what I mean? Um, the problem is what are you going to do with, uh, you know, with DJ? What are you going to do, you know, with Carl? You know, what are you going to do with all these guys who, you know, are rim protectors? Are you going to go small ball? Yeah, there's a lot of questions. I know people were kind of excited because it's Steve Nash, but he has no coaching experience. And he's right. dealing with guys who got big egos, right? Guys who have been disruptive in the locker room. KD was in a perfect situation in Golden State. And he was kind of a disruptor. He didn't like Steve Kerr, right? It was too demanding. Whatever it was that he had his issues there with, you know, with him. But he's playing with his buddy KD. I mean, um, with Kyrie. So if 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 KD and Kyrie had that buddy buddy relationship, are they going to come to the point they're like, yo, bump everybody? Let's just do us. Is that going to be, you know, the key to success? So I think that's really what's going to be hindered. I think it's really going to hinder on on Kyrie Irving. I think Mike D'Antoni is going to, uh. You know, at this point, Steve Nash is a face and Antonio's going to be the brains of that operation. I think they brought in the, the assistant coach, uh, Ika. Um, uh, what's the, uh, the assistant coach oh, from the, hey, the Rock? Yes, like yes. Probably so, that name. I apologize. Yeah, no, I didn't even know. I didn't even remember the name. So the fact that you butchered it, you're, you're one up on me. But are they going to be able to play defense, bro? Are they going to be able to compete talent-wise? Ah man, they're they're up there with Boston. I don't even think Miami could compete with them on a talent level. Just you know, who, I agree. yeah, just on a talent level. But again, it all boils down to coaching, and so I'm not super excited. I saw you know they they brought in Amari. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, here? The, the Amari thing. I I don't understand that. I mean, is he going to be a big man coach? What a coach is he going to be? I don't know, man. The, the I don't even think he can be like a a stretch big man coach. And and you know, no disrespect to Amari because I was a big fan of his. Right. But I just I just don't I don't see the fit. I mean, right. there's a bunch of first time coaches on the staff. Obviously, you mentioned D'Antoni being the brains behind everything. I just don't know where everything meshes. Right. You can have that player coach relationship, but when it comes to crunch time and Steve Nash has to demand a huddle and draw something up for Kyrie or KD or Cherish Levert or pick and roll for, for DJ. I mean, what, has he ever been in that situation before? You know what I mean? Like, obviously, as a player and, and coaching now, sometimes you put yourself in those shoes. Like, what would I do? What would I want to see? You know, what matchup is the best that I, that I want to go at? But at the end of the day, you're dealing with Kyrie and you're dealing with KD. So my yeah. question to you, Lo, with that being said, is who takes that final shot? It has to be KD. There, there has to be an established I enemy mean, from the get that KD is taking the final shot. He is your go-to guy, um, especially in clutch situations. You can have Kyrie kind of um, take over the offense, right, throughout the game, and, and KD picks his spots. But when it comes to crunch time, it you – I mean – that's what you brought KD, KD for. I'm really curious to see how that Kyrie KD relationship and chemistry is going to work. Because I know that Steph Curry was a—he's a very unselfish point guard. He doesn't—he didn't right. really care who took the last shot. Kyrie, when when he gets in his little moods, he's going to take 30 shots, ill-devised shots, and not get the offense flowing. So this is why it's interesting that Mike D'Antoni is there. It's going to be—is it going to be you know 
driving to the basket, which Kyrie is probably one of the best point guards, if not the best point guard in the NBA, getting, you know, making buckets around the basket. Um, is it going to be, you know, layups and threes as we saw in Houston? Is it going to be more of a, um, you know, evenly distributed, you know, offense where, you know, you're going to the through the three tiers to the basket, mid range and three point. I don't know, but KD has to be the guy. And I know he's coming off in a Kayla's heel. It's not like he relies so much on his athleticism, meaning he doesn't have to jump high. He doesn't have to, he right. he's a skilled player. So, so I don't think this uh, Achilles is really going to affect him as much. So even if we see like a, you know, a dip in KD's, you know, game in the sense of explosiveness, but I never saw him as explosive. He was just, he just knew how to utilize he's his feet. Right, right. He just knew how to utilize his length to his advantage. Um, so if he comes back healthy, he's going to drop easily 25 points a game. Again, I think this whole thing is makes everything, you know, the, the success of the Brooklyn Nets is going to be dependent on Kyrie Irving. And now, and here's, you know, i got to say this, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Yeah. So often we looked at the bubble, right? We looked at, we was looking at the gameplay of the bubble, the car, you know, Carl doing his thing. The Mets was able to really um, play with less, right? They was able to maximize the little bit that they have. But now all of these guys are going to have to take a step back, right? They're not going to play, you know, the Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, Spence, is he going to continue doing what he's doing? Too much talent, and I don't know, again, is Kyrie going to say, hey, I, I, the team can be much more successful if I average 17 points, distribute the ball, six, seven assists a game, KD is the man, but again, we, you know, we don't know what this is going to look like. So just on the talent alone, I think Brooklyn's will be a top three team in the East for sure. I think the top four, top four will be Miami will be up there. The Bucks, the uh, Brooklyn Nets, and um, did I miss anybody? Who's I would thinking? say the Raptors would probably be in the top, oh, yeah. top Raptors, five, top four. Raptors will um, round up the top four. Well, what do you think about this comparison, right? You know, both KD and Kyrie are ball-dominant scoring players. I, I – I think of them the way I thought of Allen Iverson and Carmelo playing in Denver. Who hmm. who takes who who takes the night off, and who puts up the most shots? And and I don't mean that in the sense where one one guy is going to ball hog the most, but if if KD is hot, I mean you keep feeding KD. Right. But if they're both hot, how do they play off each other? Now. I always thought I always thought that Kyrie and LeBron was the perfect complement to each other the way they played. Because LeBron didn't need the ball in his hands. He was just a playmaker. Right. He wasn't a right. scorer. He he just knew how to make plays. And Kyrie was the guy who went out and got the bucket, who was able to get 40 with LeBron on a nightly basis if he really wanted to, let's be honest. So I, I wonder and and I, I thought about this here, but with with Melo and Iverson and Denver and KD and Kyrie together, is that a fair comparison? Um, not necessarily. Here's why Iverson was kind of in the you know downhill of his career. I think he was still trying to hold on to the AI in Philly that took that team to the finals. Um, and he he was a natural scorer. Here here's the thing with and with Melo, yes, he he is a ball stopper. What KD has shown in Ken in, in, in Golden State. 
is that he's not a ball stopper. He can play within the offense. He, he's a very efficient scorer. He only has to take 16, 17 shots a game, and he can give you 22 points a game easily, right? So he doesn't need to be ball dominant. Kyrie needs the ball in order for him to get his points. My biggest question would be with for Kyrie, can he, can he be a distributor? Can he jumpstart the offense? So I, I understand the comparison you're making in regards to two offensive-minded guys, but when it comes to um, efficiency, I thought KD was far more efficient than Melo was ever, just because of Golden State. He showed that he doesn't have to take 30, 40 shots. There was times that he had to, and he elevated right. to that point. But within the offensive struck, yeah, no, nah, he can take 15 shots and still be effective, and he's a threat on the court. So I think KD will be a lot more selfless than Kyrie will. So you're probably going to see KD, in my opinion, um, um, trying to take a step back and let Kyrie, you know, do his thing. That that's just me. Yeah, I, I may be completely wrong just based on the personality, because you know. But if KD, I I don't. I'm really curious to see how that thing clicked because, as you said, LeBron IQ was so great. He's a playmaker, so it fit well for Kyrie's skill set. But you got two guys, you know, who's gonna who's gonna facilitate that offense because it can't be. Right. It can't be a James Harden, Russell Westbrook thing. It was like, all right, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. Nah, that's going to be disastrous. So, so if then Tony, if that system that if it's anything similar to what they did in Houston, then it's going to be a free for all and it's going to be fun for everybody to play. But then, then who's going to make stops when it's all said and done? You know? Yeah, which is why I'm I'm very interested to see what Steve Nash's system is going to be. I I know when they all played together in in Phoenix, Nash, uh, Amari, and and D'Antoni, they they mastered the seven second, you know, shot. Every seven seconds, a shot was going right. up. Do they bring it back? I don't think in today's NBA that works. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting to find out. I, I mean, with, with the talent that they have, with the roster that they have, um, are they another one? You know, NBA finals are bust. You know, the East is relatively weak per se. I mean, the only yeah. teams that I think that they would have, uh, you know, to, to face in the playoffs and, and have a good – challenge with is, is maybe Boston, maybe Miami. I do think they beat the Bucks. Uh to your point, obviously with, with defense, I, I question defense as well. Um but for, for Brooklyn and, and what they've put together, you know, do you feel like it's championship or bust? No, no, but I mean there's no expectation for Brooklyn. I think they'll they'll give you a, a very fun style of basketball, but that franchise hasn't been in existence for that long for them to say well we got to win a championship or bust type atmosphere so as long as they're in the top two top three in the east they're competing you know get into the eastern conference finals and finals here and there uh, i think that franchise will be will be set and again all depends on Kyrie. but you know and you know it all depends on Kyrie, his mood his attitude is he going to buy in um and uh we don't know what kd is going to look like but i believe just because he's not so reliant on his explosiveness um, right. And he'll be fine with that with that um, Achilles heel. But we're going to talk about you know something that um, that was mentioned uh, in our last podcast together. We were uh, mentioning that you know the NBA is going to start Christmas Day. So you know Adam Silver, that's kind of what the you know the you know the the uh, where's things going to be heading. Um, but Danny Green made a comment um, about the NBA restart. And that if they start in December, that they're not going to, uh, 
begin the final month or the beginning of the first month of the season. So I can't believe this. Listen, I first of all, Danny Green, just shut up. Stop talking, man. Like, like, <laughs> and and no disrespect to him in regards. You know, he he's a solid basketball player. You know, champion. You know, stand up guy. He's not a jerk. So I'm not saying just be quiet in that regards. You know, you have a voice. You have an opinion. But why are you talking? You know, in regards to what LA should be doing, right? Like, you right. know, hit some shots, play your role. If anything, let LeBron speak for himself. That's just how how I feel about it. But I'm kind of irritated because it's like, you know, I understand that we're in a pandemic. Not everything, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too. So I want my money, but at the same time, I don't want to play. Listen, I understand that you just ended a season. And you're only maybe getting a two-month break. But you had a four-month break prior to that bubble restarting. So it's not like you you wasn't traveling, right? So it wasn't all this wear and tear. Um, so, you know, you can't say, yeah, we, we want to start later because the later that you start, the less money you receive. The reason why they're able to start on time is because they're getting the local deal money, right? And so as long as you want that contract, the way that it is, you're going to have to play some games. What are your thoughts on Danny Green's, you know, saying that, you know, the Lakers are going to take a month off and all I'm, of this? I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm very disappointed. I, I heard Stephen A. Uh, say say this on first take. And, you know, I, I just want to put this in perspective that local TV deals, if they move back the NBA, NBA startup or just don't don't televise as many games as they did um, this past bubble, they're losing like 400 to 600 million dollars that that's the trajectory there right so from a business standpoint look if my nine to five told me that i had to come in so i can get paid guess what i'm going to do i'm going to come in right I, I think we i think we put a lot of um expectations on athletes and rightfully so because they they perform at a high level and, and they entertain us fans and and you know they they work hard for for their money I, i'm not going to discredit that However, the business of the NBA, if they say that they have to start on Christmas Day so they can have a season, so they can save this yeah, 2020 they're going to have to start on Christmas season, Day. Here, here's the thing, they, though, man, they have to do because it. they're trying to push an MLK startup date. But because the MLK startup date um, by a whole month, I think it is a few weeks. Yeah, they lose half of that revenue. So you got to. St I mean, yeah, it's just. It's just too much, man. I just, you know, yeah. I understand that you're in my family, and it's like Danny Green always, you know, he says this thing. I'm like, bro, why are you talking? Like, you know, yeah, we're going to take a month. And then you're not only talking for yourself. You're talking on behalf of all the Lakers, right? Well, LeBron right. says he's going to, well, let LeBron talk for himself. Don't, right. you know, because now he becomes a, you know, product because, you know, he's the most scrutinized player in NBA history. And I, you know, I am part of that, uh, you know, that group. But I wish LeBron would say, yeah, I, I don't want to start in December. We just come off a championship. I was like, bro, you had a four-month break between the middle of the season and that bubble. And so I understand. But if you want your money, you're going to have to play, man. That, that you know, that's just my thoughts on it. Uh, but just, everybody just look at it. Just look at it from a um, fan perspective. If the best player in NBA – history says that there he's not going to play for a month because he needs rest 
and there's only 72 games in the season. I mean, just how, how does that look? You know, it doesn't set a good example for, for the young generation of players coming in. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't set an example for, for the rest of the league. And if the players decide to do whatever it is that they feel is right and they do it as a union and, and they get the players association behind them, then that that's to me, that's the best way to do it. But don't get on a, a TV show or a podcast or any kind of interview and go ahead and tell, you know, what you're going to do and what the Lakers organization is planning on doing. Um, Jared Dudley did the same thing, and and you know, look, man, nothing against Jared, Jared Dudley, but why is always the bench warmer? Why is always the people who ain't contribute always talking? You know, on behalf, it's like you know, I listen. At the end of the day, money talks. Money you know, talks. Yeah. If, if you know, you can you can give all the reasons in the world why you don't want to do something. I guarantee you, you don't show up for that month of basketball. You ain't getting paid. And at the right. end of the day, when why your pockets are hurting, yeah. So, so I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that excuse. Miami ain't giving that excuse, you know. And nobody no. from that bubble saying, "Hey, that we don't want to start on Christmas Day." Now, whether they agreed to start on MLK Day, well, I think that's the end of January, you know. Yeah, bro, yeah. yeah. You losing two, two hundred, three hundred million dollars, bro. Like the NBA ain't gonna look at you and say, "Oh, yeah, we, you know, yeah, we we feel sorry for you." Nah, you had a four month break in between the end of the season and when that bubble started. I understand that bubble was difficult for a lot of the players because it was abnormal. It wasn't, you know, what they was accustomed to. But the wear and tear, the different time zones, none of that played a factor into that series. So there's no reason why you should not start in December. Uh, um, in, in in December, and I understand that the reason why December is a perfect number. They're competing against the NFL. They're going to be, comp- you know, the Olympics is about to start. So the longer you push. You know, back the less the less games, the less games, the less you know revenue, the less revenue, less money that these players are gonna make. So right. you got a contract, you got to play. If you don't want to, then just opt out and say, hey, I'm not gonna play this season and whatever. I don't know what else to do. But yeah, I didn't know that Jared Dudley was talking. But then yeah, Green, Jared I, Dudley I, was talking. I just I, I don't know, man. What, what what do you think this means for NBA players and the Olympics next year? I mean, if the season starts in December and possibly doesn't end until June, the Olympics normally starts in the middle of July. Um, I mean, you know, are we going to have NBA players playing in the Olympics, or are we going to rely on what we know, should have done from the jump start? I think we had we briefly talked about this in our private conversations, but um. NBA players playing in the Olympics doesn't mean as much as it did in the late 90s, you know, early 2000s, you know, the Redeem team and all of that. So I understand that a lot of guys are going to be entering into, you know, ending the NBA season and then the Olympics start. We should have already created like a glorified AAU team that is committed to, you You know what I'm saying, playing for the U.S. that's going to compete in the Olympics. And because what we have seen happen is that we're plugging guys in. There's no chemistry and we're not, you know, playing at a high level. I think that they need to take like the, you know, the three star, four star players and keep these Cooper guys to play together and have them be the face of the Olympics. So that way stuff like this doesn't happen, you know, and give those guys a shot. You know, a, a lot of the um, reasons why USA basketball has struggled with a lot of these teams internationally is because these guys have been playing together for 10, 12 years. Right? right, and the reason why we win, point. yeah, the reason why we win is because we have superior talent. But if the, our talent is not there, we saw what happened. What was it in uh, 2006, I believe, where mm-hmm. we had Carl, you know, Carlos Boozer and Stephanie, uh, uh, um, uh, Marbury and Island Iverson. We 
was in third, fourth. We didn't even make it out of the world championship round. So, yeah, I understand. I don't think those players are going to, you know, opt in. That's why I think they needed to kind of create a farm system or, you know, these players are going to be committed to USA basketball that's going to play year round and, you know, build a good team that can represent the country and is going to play well. So that's, that's my thoughts, but you know, Danny green, I don't know the chances of you listening to this man, but just, we love, you know, I appreciate your work, but just, yeah, don't, yeah. You, you sound like you sound spoiled, bro. Like you making too much money, man. I don't make no money. I want to, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, you know, if they telling me, hey, you got to start in January, hey, December, whatever. All right, I got to do it. You know, you yeah, good money for you not yeah. to be complaining. And at the end of the day, as a business, your boss tells you to go to work, you got to go to work, you know. But shout outs to, you know, Danny Green and to the NBA players who have been a voice, you know, during this uh, social climate, especially of injustice with, you know, the things that have been happening with uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, you know, advocating for. Uh, being a voice for the black lives that hasn't mattered to America. And so we're going to be concluding this podcast episode. And we just want to encourage all of our watchers and listeners to go out and vote. We know that we are living in a time that um, if we don't exercise our voices now, when will we exercise our voices? And so the one of the greatest ways to exercise our voice isn't simply by posting your thoughts on Facebook, or going to marches, you have to go out there and vote, guys. So uh, ironically, we, <laughs> you know, I'm wearing red, Jado's wearing blue. It was not scripted, but uh, it kind of shows whether you vote for red or whether you vote for blue, go and exercise your right to vote. Go be a change. And so we just want to leave off with those final thoughts. Jono, any things you want to leave uh, any yeah, last well, I, to our to our yeah, listeners? I, I agree, man. You know, whether you whether you vote independent or, or you write in or Republican, Democrat, whatever the case may be. Um, I, I early voted and, and just being able to see that my vote counted, it just, it made me feel good. Um, yeah. You know, it made me feel like my voice was heard. It made me feel like that I, I, um, I practiced the, the right that I have um, in this democracy, in this United States. So um, for those who have not voted or for those who are on the fence about voting, whether you dislike candidates or dislike any policies in your uh, areas, just know that, you know, your vote, your votes do count um, and your, your votes will always count. Please exercise that right. And uh, you have a couple of days left here to, to go vote. Yeah, absolutely, man. So you guys go exercise that right to vote, you know, be the voice, be the change. Um, and yeah, let's make this uh, country a better place that is going to be equal for everyone who lives in it, right? Whether it be white, black, uh, Latino, you know, uh, Democrat, Republican, you know, immigrants, whatever. We want a fair and honest, uh, you know, system and a fair and honest country that everyone can experience the same justice for all as our motto here in America is, man. So until next time, guys, this is uh, wrapping up our podcast episode of Bench Warmers. This is your boy, Lo. All right, my boy Jono. Yes, Don't sir. forget to like, subscribe, share, comment. Um, any anything that that helps us, we'd love to hear back from from our viewers. Until Absolutely. next time, peace. peace out.